0: You guys ready to jump in? Okay. Well, you know new community. I don't do the whole tell a funny story for the first five minutes to engage you. I just jump right in. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer. And it's a little deep and dense. So, and I don't like to read long quotes because if you're like me, I kind of tune out like halfway. In it, and I love it, but try to hang in there, okay? And I normally do one or two, if that. in any service, um, here it is: everything in the universe has a nature, which means limits as well as potentials. A truth well known by people who work daily with the things of the world. Making pottery, for example, involves more than telling the clay what to become. The clay presses back on the potter's hands, telling her what it can and cannot do. And if she fails to listen, well, the outcome will be both fragile and ungainly. Engineering involves more than just telling materials what they must do. If the engineer does not honor the nature of the steel, nor the wood or the stone... His failure will go well beyond aesthetics. The bridge or the building will collapse and put human life in peril. The human nature has limits. The human nature has limits as well as potential. So last week, we started this. I don't know how long it's going to go. I wasn't intending to go more than three weeks. Although, by the responses and reaction of some of you, you know, 10 minutes after I got out, I got a text from somebody saying, you wrecked me today. Okay, I... um, We're talking about how embracing our God-given limits is so critical to living an emotionally healthy life. We're talking about the courage it requires to embrace limits and find contentment and joy, not just begrudgingly saying, ah, I don't like this, I don't want this, but to embrace it joyfully. And I mentioned last week, this isn't deep. Pause for a moment and realize we have limits in our lives. We have physical limits. I'm 5'9", there's certain things I can't do. I'm 46 years old, there's certain things I can do that I didn't do before, and there's certain things I can't do. I need to sleep seven, eight hours a day. I need to eat health. There are physical limits. You know this, I know this, and yet, we just blow past it and go, who cares? There are seasons of life limits. I see young parents, Struggling to adjust to young uh, young family life with little toddlers because there's a part of them that says, I want to do all that I did before I had any kids, but now I can't, and you're struggling because those limits. (laughs) Half of you saw Annie go, Yes, in the front of you. Yes, we all have them. We have seasons of life limits, we have time limits. There's only 24 hours in a day. Why do we act like there's 28 or 30? There's capacity limits. I know some of us like to think we could be experts at every round. You can't. Boy, is that news to you? We have spiritual understanding limits. How do you deal with the God who says, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts? How do you deal with this reality that there's certain things, this side of heaven, we will never fully comprehend? You see, I can go on and on and on, but the reality is we struggle with this because we live in a culture where we live and breathe and eat this that says, live without limits. Limits are for losers. Limits are for weak people. Limits are for... What? Ah. So we live in a culture that says, Go past it, blow past it. <laughs> I thought about this. We parents tell our little children, you could be anything you want to be. And we mean well, but what what are we saying? And I mentioned last week how we're inundated in the media, our world about <laughs> why do we ask dumb questions like, if you could have one superpower, what would you what is that? What is that? And we just kind of drink it like, of course, it's normal. Why would you want a superpower? Oh, because I wish I could live without limits. And of course, you and I breathe and live in a culture that values productivity, which means if you're not being productive, which means if you're not overworking, which means your boss, your company, your family, everybody just goes, what's wrong with you? Why are you not producing two, three, four, five, ten times? What are... Are you with me, church? Okay, so how many of us sitting here going, dude, for somebody else? Because for me, my life, I embrace it. I'm content. Anybody? Maybe like two people. I said last week, this is so important because this is personal for me. I struggle with this, you see. See, it's my failure to embrace limits that I'll tell you what I do. I compare myself to other pastors and I go, I wish I can do what they do. I wish I can be what they are. Knowing that I don't have gifts that they have. Right? Is this that, that causes me to uh, do this, not wait for God's timetable, God's timing, and blow past and going. What? 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 It's this that causes me to not rest, not take Sabbath seriously. It, 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 it's, it, it's sometimes, my failure embrace limits, as I look back on my life, it's been some of the source of pain and heartache and Failure to embrace limits is what causes me to go, I'm going to live my life, I have something to prove. I've got something to prove. I've got something to... Do you live like you have something to prove? Is that posture in life? Failing to recognize the essence of the gospel says, you've got nothing to prove. You're proved in Jesus, you see. I don't believe that though at Sunday school lesson, We don't believe that. We just, and we saw last week in perfection, God creates man, woman, prize creation, and he gives them all kinds of freedom, and yet he also places limits, right? In perfection. Listen, in perfection, God creates limits. So don't think limits are just because we're fallen and God needed to put limits. No, in perfection, God says, eat of every tree except this one. And the challenge to that, challenge that was ultimately God going, do you trust me That I knew what I was doing when I created you. Do you trust that I'm creator? You're just a creature in dependence on me. Do you realize that I'm the potter? You're just clay. Do you realize that I'm infinite? You're finite. Do you realize that I'm eternal? You have an expiration date. And do we trust that these limits are good? And for us? I somebody uh, text me and go, why is it all about trust? Why is it always about trust? I'll tell you why it's about trust. Can you have an intimate, healthy relationship without trust? See, that's why some of you, oh, you've been coming to church, Christian all your life, and you, you're like, I can't break through and this kind of feels. You know why? Simple question. Do you trust him? That as he put these limits around you, Age, competency, physically. Do you trust that they're for your good? I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. That's the key. We either rage against the limits because we don't trust that he is good, that he knows what he's doing, and that he's able to bring it about. We rage against and go, who cares what God thinks? Who cares what I think? Or we joyfully embrace these limits. So today, as we continue our journey, we're going to look at a guy who joyfully embraces God given limits and found contentment in it. His name is John, John the Baptist. Let me give you context for John. So, John the Baptist is this dude. Some of you may have heard about him. Felt for Sunday School, or something. John the Baptist. He comes along, and the Bible says thousands flock to him. Thousands flock to him. Why? History of Israel, 400 years, they hadn't heard anything. 400 years, there have been absolute silence. Not a word from God, not a word from any prophets. And the 400 year silence is broken by a dude wearing camel, camel hair vest, eating locusts and honey, coming out of the desert. Okay, by the way, I've tried eating locusts. It's pretty, t- it's pretty tasty, by the way. Um, and he comes out, and he's, <laughs> he only got one sermon. He only has one sermon. Repent, <laughs> and thousands of people followed him. He probably wouldn't have had a mega church today, by the way. Okay, repent for the kingdom of God is here, and thousands are following him. There are thousands. Follow- he is at the height of his career as a prophet, as a man of God. People are there. He is so popular. That almost 20 years after he's dead, 20 years after he's dead, there are people still calling themselves John's disciples in Acts 19. That's the kind of influence this guy had. And yet, and yet, unlike you and me, he somehow was able to embrace his God-given and found joy and contentment. So, John chapter 1. Verse 19. We're going to look at two passages, John 1 and John 3. John chapter 1 verse 19, where we find ourselves today. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? Everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. Who are you? Probably the most important question that gets to your spiritual maturity and emotional health. How you answer that... How you answer that Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I'll come back to it in a little bit Look what I said, verse 20 He came right out and said Say it with me No, see, this is for you This just preaches itself <laughs> Say it, ready, go I am not the Messiah. Teachers, think of the school you teach in. Say it with me. I am not the Messiah. Parents, think of the family you parent. Say it with me. I am See, see, see they don't want to say it. They're struggling to say it. This just preached this itself. I could end the sermon right here, because if you and I got this, our world would be so much better, our churches would be so much healthier, and our families would be so much healthier. I am not the savior. I am not the savior at that school. I am not the savior of this city. I am not the savior of this church. I am not the Savior of my family. I am not the Savior. How many of us are living with our limits because we think we're the Saviors? How many of us are living with our limits? I uh, see, some of y'all get really emotional right now. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will not just convict you, but that he'd also comfort you. Can I, do you realize how big your ego has to be? Do you realize how big my ego has to be for me to go, oh, the world couldn't possibly go on without me? Oh, that right there would fall apart if I wasn't there. Oh. Verse 21. Well, then, who are you? They asked him. Are you Elijah? No. And I, 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 I'm trying to envision. I think John had a smile on his face like, no. He wasn't like, no. No. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say to yourself? Who are you, John? Will you notice something very crucial to this story? Not only is John absolutely clear about who he is, as we're going to see, he is just as clear about who he is not. Not only is John clear about what he is called to do, he is just as clear about what he is not called to do. Not only is John clear about what he can do, John is also absolutely clear about what he cannot do. (sighs) I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And for some of us, the journey to embracing our God-given limits begins with this. You ready? Understand who you are not. Understand what God has not called you to do and be. John finds joy and contentment in realizing and embracing not just who he is, but who he isn't, who he's not. Can I just ask, how many of us are living without limits? Because we're trying to be someone we're not. Trying to do things we're not called to do. Anybody? And what makes it so tricky is that we breathe and live and swim in a culture of envy where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and going, I wish I had his job. I wish I had her work. I wish I had their family. I wish I did And we just constantly go, I'm going to go blow past these limits because after all, I want to live... Someone else's script for my life And not What God has called me to do In your journey to receiving God Give limits Figure out what you're not Figure out what God did not Call you to do and be And if you're learning this as a, re- Can I just ask how many of us are learning this Right now as a result of failure Or some mistake on our parts and I tend to sometimes get real angry at God and go, God, how dare? And God sometimes goes, ho. I never called you to do that. I never called you to be that. There is as much guidance and wisdom in what does not and cannot happen in your life as there is in what does and can happen. We don't want to just stop at what we're not. We need to move to what we are. Verse twenty-three. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice. Some of your translation, I am the voice. No, it's not the, I'm a voice. I'm just a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Verse 24, then the Pharisees who have been sent asked him, if you want the Messiah or Elijah or prophet, what right do you have to baptize? Verse 26, and John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not even recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his handle. This is extraordinary. Remember who he is. And literally what John says right here is this. There are rabbinic laws at this time that says that untying the thongs of a sandal, and remember, they didn't have shoes, clothes, toes, shoes back then, so it's smelly, nasty, dirty, dusty, all that stuff. Untying someone's hand and washing their feet was so demeaning that a rabbi couldn't even ask one of his disciples to do it. It was a job reserved for a slave. And yet, this is John, who says, I'm not even worthy of even that. Now, it's at this point that some of us sitting here go, that's just psychologically harmful. That's just to think you're not even worthy to, that you're lower than, a, that's just psychologically harmful. Why would anybody, can I just tell you something? If you think it's psychologically harmful to say, I'm not even worthy of that, that's because you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that when you lessen the gravity of sin, you weaken the power of grace. I'm going to say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and some of y'all sitting there going, why am I not being impacted by this gospel? I'll tell you what. If you lessen the seriousness of sin, you weaken the power of grace. I'm going to put it this way. If you weaken and lessen the depths of our sinfulness, the gospel will not transform you. Do you know why? And if you resonate with this, say amen. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because needy people get the gospel. Because desperate people get the gospel. Because people who failed and have fallen short and are in need of somebody else's rescue, they get the gospel. The, I've got it together. I need a little side help. I'm competent, intelligent, gifted, talented, successful. You will hear me talk about the gospel every Sunday and you'll walk out here going, that's for somebody. Needy people, desperate people. Dare I say, sinners get the gospel. Now here's the thing though. It doesn't just stop there. Because some of y'all are like, That's the church I grew up in. They told me every single Sunday I was a bad and sinner, and I just walked away from that. I don't want that. See, there's another side of the gospel, you see. And John sees that. Because look at what happens. I love this. I love this verse. Verse 29. See if you... The next day, John saw Jesus, though, coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Is that good news to Anybody? who he is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me so John is not just clear about who he is not he's saying but here is why I am I am a prophet who has come to prepare the way I am a baptizer of water though but there's someone come who's going to baptize you with fire in the spirit I am just a servant. That's who I am. Who's been called to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. John is not only clear about who he is not, but he is clear about who he is. And he finds joy and contentment. He is um, comfortable in his own skin. Are you comfortable in your own skin? By the way, can I just... Have you been around people who are just comfortable in their own skin? And just comfortable with who they are and at rest? Do you know what I'm talking about? It feels like a warm blanket. You know what I mean? Like versus you hang around people who act like they got something to prove. Or constantly trying to fish for compliments. And you just go. Well, John is this guy who's like, I know who I am. And I know who I'm not. He's comfortable at rest. No striving. No straining. Now, what's remarkable about this is, check out these next series of verses, and then we'll work out some principles, okay? John 3, we'll jump to. John 3, 23. At the same time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. Verse 26, jump to. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi! The man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, you know, the one identified, you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. Check this out. And everybody is going to him. Instead of coming to us. John, all of our people are going to him. John, your stock is going down, and his stock is going up. John, your influence is diminishing, and his influence is growing. And get this, do something. Do something. Just stop real quick, and we'll do a principle, and then move on. You ready? This is going to hurt for some of us sometimes. Put that up there. The temptation to live beyond God's limits can come from other people. And here's the toxic tricky thing. They think they have your best interest at heart. They genuinely care. But your struggle with embracing limits right now is people who are saying, blow past it, and I have your best interest at heart. Blow past it, because that's the best thing for you to do the temptation to live beyond our limits isn't just coming from our bosses, coworkers, peers. They're coming from your mama. <laughs> and your dad. And yes, from your pastor. They're coming from your husband. They're coming from your wife. And the crazy thing is, we just, we just encourage each other. I'm not picking on anybody. Two young couples right out of college. And one goes, you know what I think I'm going to do? Well, although I'm working with 60 hours, I think I'm going to get a master's degree. And the husband's eating his dinner. He's like, that's a wonderful idea, honey. I think that's amazing. You know, I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to get another part-time job. But you already work 80 hours, honey. I know, but you know what? Everybody's doing it. What in the world? Other people will sometimes be your greatest barrier to living within your God-given. This is why community is so important. Can I just ask you something? Who are you around? Who are you around? Who are you around? Are you around people who are saying, hey, child, that's not for you. That's not for you. That's not for you. Are you around people who are saying, hey, that is for you? Are you around people who are calling you out lovingly and saying, you have no boundaries, you have no limits, or are you just around people who just encourage each other? Who are you around that's lovingly and truthfully saying, why are you living beyond your limits? Whose approval are you after? Whose affirmation do you want? There's a scary verse in Proverbs. Scary for me at least. Fearing people, Proverbs 29, 25, is a dangerous snare. Trusting the Lord means safety. The word snare literally, this is a word picture. Word snare was a noose put around the neck of an animal or a hook around the nose of an animal. And the picture is that the fear of man is completely controlling you. Do you know what that's like? When you're so concerned about what other people think that it completely controls you. You're so hungry after people's affirmation that uh, you go, on. that's not me. Okay, Uh, let me ask a series of questions. Are you someone who's hesitant to confront sin in the life of another believer? You might be ensnared. Um, Do you rarely challenge or question the opinion of others, especially strong personality people? You might be ensnared. Do you prematurely terminate conflict by yielding, withdrawing, or changing the subject? You might be ensnared. Do you rarely reveal to others the truth about who you are on the inside? You might be ensnared. Do you shade the truth in order to not offend others? You might be ensnared. And my favorite, do you fish for compliments? You might be ensnared. And then, of course, there's one last, which is you just can't say no. I heard somebody say this. He says, when you live your life in light of what others think of you, you ultimately wind up hating them. That person you hate right now, think for a second and go, Does it have anything to do with the fact that I long for his approval, her approval, affirmation, them to recognize me, them to notice me, and I never got it? See, see, we gotta move on. Does anybody want to be freed here from approval addiction? Aren't you tired of having a fragile ego and a fragile identity? That sways back and forth Depending on what other people say about you You know the thing about John Do you know we're talking about a fearless dude Fearless dude Are you you familiar with John the Baptist story Do you know what he did He went up to Herod Herod A crazy lunatic king And do you know what he did to Herod Well Herod was doing this He killed his brother And was living with his wife Deal, right? So John the Baptist goes up to Herod And goes You're a slime ball (laughs) You killed your brother And now living with his wife Stop it, knowing that he was going to be killed. Do you have that kind of courage? Do I have that kind of courage? We've got to move on. Verse 27, underline this, please. Because this is one of the two, three verses here. Because of what he says, verse 27. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. And that should be so freeing for some of us right now. Yes? That should be so freeing. One guy said to me after the service, he said, I was convicted, but you know what? It's so freeing because I don't have to try and do something I'm not called to do and be somebody I'm not. It's freeing. And I said, that's what I'm preaching on next Sunday, so you better be there. Verse 27. That's John saying no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him. He's saying I can only receive what God has placed in me to do. That's my job. So I've joyfully embraced God's limits in my life. You want to change the world, right? But you can only change the world when God says I will change the world in and through you. If God does not, then you cannot. Period. Period. You want to change the world. I want to say, we cannot change the world unless God works in and through us. If He doesn't, we cannot. Period. That means we have to come to grips with their kingdom assignments. Some of them don't have your name on it. It doesn't have your name on it. Why are you doing it? Well, but Jesus, okay, let's talk about Jesus. Three years of ministry allowed many to suffer and die. Why? He didn't care? No. Jesus didn't do everything he could have done so that he could do that which he was supposed to do. Jesus did not do everything he could have done. But look at all the brokenness so that he could do what he was supposed to do, including saving the world and you and me. Verse twenty-eight. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for Him. Yeah, you know, this is John being completely comfortable in his skin, a sign of spiritual maturity, emotional health. Just he's at ease with who God has created him to be. Are you at ease? Are you comfortable in your own skin? Verse twenty-nine. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. I'm attending a wedding this upcoming weekend, or fishing at another. I've yet to see the best man act like the groom. Why? Because he'd be a fool if he did. And somebody would say, you need to sit down. It's ridiculous, right, for us to envision the best man of a wedding acting like he was the groom. What is John saying? I'm not going to do that. Jesus is the groom. Here for his bride, the church. I'm just going to step out of the way because my job is done. And then he says the following, <laughs> therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that verse. I don't even know what to do with that verse. Because I read that, and I go, I am filled with envy. I am filled with jealousy. I am filled with the competitive nature that's about to take over, blah, blah. I He's like, no, no, no. I am filled. I'm content. Success. Do you know what emotional health, spiritual maturity looks like? It's when you are genuinely able to rejoice at another's success. You know what spiritual immaturity and emotional unhealthiness looks like? When you resent someone's success. Furthermore, when you try and diminish someone's success. And John's going. I'm rejoicing because he has come and my job it's done he exudes he senses joy contentment embracing it's God given limits and then here's the last verse ready <laughs> see see this is my favorite verse we talked about it right he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less you know what this is This is John surrendering himself to his God-given limits. You know what hit me this week? Church, say, what hit you this week, Peter? Thanks for asking. I'll tell you what hit me this week. Do you realize that for some of us, do you realize that for some of us, the way that Jesus will become greater and greater in our lives, that is to say, Jesus will be glorified, which we all say we want, is when we actually do less and say no more and embrace our limits? Do you realize that? I'll put it another way. Do you realize that some of us are robbing God of his glory in the name of Jesus by doing more and not embracing our limits? That freaks me out. That freaks me out, that the very thing that I desire, which is that Jesus be glorified, Jesus, you become greater, that the very thing that's hindering that from happening, is the fact that I refuse to do less. I refuse to embrace my limits. I refuse, in the name of Jesus, to say no more. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. At that point, somebody could say, Help him, Jesus. Because I need it. Principles, real quick, and then we're done. What do we learn? One recognize that embracing your limits is a spiritual warfare issue. Pastor Michael, thank you for what you shared, because you're about to enter the wilderness. See, some of y'all are sitting there going, why am I so distracted during this sermon? It's not just because, you know, you have a 10-minute attention span. It also has to do the fact that this is the last thing that the enemy wants you to do. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the primary, one of the primary ways that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy is what he did in the Garden of Eden. What did he do? The fundamental temptation was Adam and Eve, violate your God-given limits. Do not surrender to it. Go do your thing. And thousands of years later, he comes to Jesus in the wilderness. And in Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted. And what is the essence of his temptation? Do you ever think about that? The essence of temptation for the Son of God is what? Violate those God-given limits. Blow past it. Turn those stones into bread. Aren't you hungry? Why wait for the cross to bring salvation to the world? You could have it right now. Cross these limits, Jesus. Go for it. The fundamental essence of Satan's temptation to Jesus is cross those limits. Limits are for losers. Why embrace these stifling limits of humanity? Why would you want to be hungry? You're God. Turn it into bread. You're God. Fall down from the temple. Have the angels hug you. You're God. Don't go to the cross. The kingdom could be yours now. His whole mission to derail Jesus, violate limits. Let me, let me tell you something. If you think you're going to walk out and go, that was enlightened, so I'm just going to, you know, embrace. You are fooling yourself. This is war for your soul. He will fight you every step of the way. You know those voices that tell you who you are? This week, they're going to be even louder. It's interesting, real quick. By the way, these principles are all sermons in and of themselves. What happens before the wilderness temptation? Baptism of Jesus, spirit descends and says, you're my son and I love you. Do you hear that every day? Second, You'll need courage to embrace God-given limits in order to stay the course and the mission that God has. See, God has a mission for you that only you can fulfill. But to fulfill that mission, God didn't give you every spiritual gift and say, go save the whole world. I love my Jamaican sister who said to me, God has given us, Pastor Peter, a square inch in the kingdom. And he says, be about that square inch of the kingdom. You'll need courage to drown out the voices of our culture that says and values and worships beauty, success, comfort, convenience, power, fame, popularity, wealth. Just tell me to stop and I'll stop. You'll need absolute courage to say, I will stay the course. You'll also need courage to stay the course. Knowing that you're going to disappoint people. Knowing that your parents might not be happy. Knowing that the folks who want you to step outside of God's limits. My last quote of the day, I promise. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors. No two lives are the same. We often compare our lives with those of others, trying to decide whether we're, you know, better or worse off. But such comparison does not help. We have to live our life, not someone else's life. Say it with me. We have to live our life, not someone else's life. One more time. We have to live our life, not someone else's life. We have to hold our own cup. We have to dare to say, this is my life. This is the life given to me. And it is the life that I have to live as well as I can. My life is unique. Nobody else has to live it. I have my own story, my own family, my own body, my own character, my own friends, my own way of thinking, speaking, and acting. I have my own life to live. No one else has the same challenge. I am alone because I'm unique. Many people can help me live my life. But after all is said and done, I have to make my own choices about how I'm going to live. How many people get the career, the fame, the degree, and realize that they never wanted it? How many people live their lives, entire lives, saying, I'm going to prove myself to you, mom. I'm going to prove myself to you, dad. And finally get there and realize it's empty. new community this isn't just for you by the way I'm just going to say this your pastor struggles with this can you tell can you tell this is so hard for me and right now I'm scared to death I need to pray for me do you know why because here we are in a new building with facility like we've never had before do you know how great the temptation is to expand our ministry beyond what God has called us to do do you know how great the temptation is? Do you know, if you only knew how great the temptation is for me to expand it, do you know, and here's the crazy thing, you ready? Do you know what Satan's primary tactic is? He gets us to do the work of God out there in a way that it diminishes the work of God in us. We could do God's work in a way that it'll ruin our marriages, it'll wear us out. We'll do ministry such a way, in a, such a way that we're calling, we're doing all kinds of things that doesn't have a name on it. We're one church, we could only do one thing. Can I please ask you for something? Will you pray for me and our staff and our leaders? That we will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do only the thing that God is calling us to do. Will you pray that I will be the kind of pastor that cares more about people's marriages and their spiritual lives than, they do, than I do about how productive they are. Will you please pray that we as church leaders will live this out, not just individually, but corporately. Third, embracing the gift of limits enables us to affirm self-care. Self-care is never a selfish act. Don't ever think taking care of yourself is selfish. It's simply good stewardship of the only gift you were placed on earth to give. There's one thing that you can give that no one else can give. You know what it is? That is a gift of you. We're called to lay down our lives for others, but you need a self to lay down first. Lastly, see can come on up. Because if you are challenged by those principles like I am, if you are sitting here wondering, how do I have the power to do that? If you sit here and go, those are great, those are challenging, but I don't think I can do it. I can't either. So this is where I always end my sermon. That is the gospel empowers us to embrace God's given limits. Do you know what prompted and caused John to fully embrace his limits and find contentment? Did you see what was the key to John remaining laser focused on God's mission for his life despite all the noise around him? Let me put it as plainly as I can, and then we're going to sing a song, and we'll leave. Let me tell you what it was. And I, it's what we saw in John 1, 27 and 29. I'm not even worthy to be a slave, but behold the Lamb. I'm not even worthy to be a slave, but behold do you know what his key was every one look at his unworthiness he took a thousand looks at his savior who takes away the sin of the world is that good news to anybody Every one second that he looks at himself, every one second that John goes, look at me. I'm so messed up. I'm so broken. I am living without limits. Every one second he saw his own sinfulness. Every one second he took an hour to look at his Savior. Every one look at his unworthiness. Look how unworthy I am. He took a thousand looks at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, one of the things in our church we talk about the gospel is this. And it brings these two truths so powerfully together. And that is, although I'm more wicked and more sinful than I dare believe, that is the I am so unworthy part, there is the, nobody in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, I am more accepted and more loved than I dared hope. At the same time, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and you know what's really powerful about that for me, John John, and a guy who not only doesn't care about what other people think do you notice what he goes, he doesn't go behold, I'm unworthy behold, behold he doesn't say, behold, I'm one of Do you know why? I'll tell you exactly why. He not only doesn't care what other people think of him, he doesn't even care what he thinks of himself. He's saying the only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks. <sighs> Some of y'all, your struggle... And not necessarily what other people think. It might be what you think of yourself because what you've done and where you've been. How do you get the courage to go, I don't even care what I think of myself. I already, how, where do you get the courage to do that? Behold, say it with me, the Lamb of God. Aren't you tired of being tired Don't you want to be set free once and for all from approval, addiction, and just trying to be someone? Aren't you tired of living someone else's script for your life? I am. What do you need to do? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Listen. (laughs) Who refused to turn stones into bread so that He could become bread of life for us. Check this out. Behold, the Lamb of God, who didn't jump from the tower to have angels catch him, but walked down the steps of the temple so that you and I could fall into his arms. Praise God for the Son of God, who embraces God-given limits, didn't bow for the immediate satisfaction of a kingdom, but walked back through the wilderness towards the cross so that instead of a temporary man-made kingdom, you and I could be received as sons and daughters in the eternal kingdom of God. I'm unworthy, but behold, question is, are you doing that? Am I doing that? With your eyes closed, heads bowed down, I particularly, I've been praying specifically for you, this group, this whole week. There's some of you, you're stuck because you're stuck on the first part of that. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. And you think you're being humble. You think you're being humble and spiritually mature. Child of God, that's not humility, that's pride. Do you know why? It comes in two forms. It's superiority complex. I am all that. But there's the inferiority complex. And that is, I'm nothing. I'm I'm total garbage. And you think you're being humble. But the problem is, you're still focused and self-absorbed in yourself. And you're not looking up and beholding. You're not looking up and beholding. You're not looking up and beholding. You're not looking up and beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And my prayer for you this whole week, for those of you that are here and you're stuck, I'm unworthy, and you can't behold the Lamb, is that this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would look up and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That He loves you. That He is for you. That He went to the cross for you. That he doesn't see you as you see you. But he sees you as God sees Jesus. That you would not leave here today. Without knowing in your heart of hearts. The Lamb of God. Who takes way a sense of the world then as we continue this journey for those of us that know we're not living within our limits of God's given life we know we struggle, we know we rebel we fight, we rage, that you and I would just simply ask the Holy Spirit this morning for the courage to surrender to the gift of that we would trust Him. and we would trust Him. That in His love, He desires what is best for you. In His wisdom, He knows what is best for you. And in His sovereignty, He has the power to bring it about. I am invite the worship team to come on up. In a moment, I'm going to pray for our tithes and our offering as we get ready to respond in worship. And particularly this morning, if I can, church, as you pray, as you continue to pray, particularly this morning, as you give your tithes and offering, may I gently remind you that that is an act, an act that is more than just giving monitor, that is an act that signifies and communicates I am giving all that I am to you I sacrifice my life as a living sacrifice I am giving you Jesus all that I am including these gifted limits I am giving you that I am so as you give that you would cry out that you would pray that you would find joy that you would find content so give you 30 more seconds or so just No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. I am not the Messiah. I've only come to prepare the way for Him. Therefore, I am filled with joy at His success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and